that people run. And, you know, got all, we've got all of our uh, marathoners out there today, even now, trying to make it to the end. And so let's read a little bit about races and the running of races. Now let's start with this one in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, it saith on the following slide, Therefore, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood." Mm, good words. Every good apostle, like every good preacher, knows that sports analogies are the best analogies. you got to love good sports analogies, which is what we read here. A sports analogy. What kind of sports would they have been having back then? Probably not a lot of the ones that we have now. I don't think golf had been invented yet. But in the ancient world, the most basic kind of sport, really, and I would think maybe the oldest sport on earth, is just foot races. Right? Just just people running against each other. Who's fastest? I mean, this is something you do when you're a kid. Right? As soon as you start to get up where you can move around and walk and run as a kid... The kids always want to race. Race you to the car. Race you to the street. Right? And if you don't and if you don't tamp it down, it'll just be everywhere. To be in here, you know. Race you to the pulpit. I mean anywhere. Kids want to race each other. People do this. And and of course, foot speed becomes um, a vital part of a lot of other sports we watch, right? So that if you go and watch uh, a football game which 75,000-some people did yesterday down in Norman. I was stunned at how many people come out for what is really a scrimmage. It's not even a real game. But that's, uh, that's dedication. That's people who just love the sport. To go watch people, who, to go watch something in numbers that large, it's not even a real game. It's not even in season. And that many people are out there, yeah, talk about a great cloud of witnesses. Well, even in that sport, with all of its different complexities and everything going on, you still get right down to foot speed, don't you? I mean, foot speed still matters huge in that sport. Among all the other things, it still matters a ton just how fast people are. That's why people who play that sport, if they want to have a shot to do it professionally and make all that money, they go to this place where they make them run sprints and time them. You know? And then they it, it becomes like emblazoned on them. It's like, it's like they become synonymous with their, with their 40 time. You know, and scouts give their name and their time. It's that important to them how fast they are. So foot speed is still a big deal in other sports. 
In baseball, you got good foot speed, you can you can run those bases faster. You can steal bases, right? In basketball, you can get up the court faster. But you know, we could go on and on. Now, maybe not so much golf, where it doesn't matter how fast you are, they just walk or ride everywhere. And I don't think bowling, it really doesn't matter too much uh, what, how fast you are. You just take a couple of steps before you let the ball go. And, you know, I'm sure we can think of several others where maybe it doesn't so much matter. Things that are on the, on, those things, I mean, you know, might be on the margins in some cases of what we would actually call sports. All right. Don't email me with your arguments about that. I don't care. But, you know, uh, the most strenuous sports, foot speed matters. And you think about just how relevant this is, that here we are today with a marathon taking place just, you know, a few miles west of here. So this is still very relevant that so many people come from out of state, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people sign up, they pay good money, they train to do this. And, and it's the same, essentially, it's the same thing that they were doing all those centuries ago. In the ancient times, they still they're running races. Uh, we don't know who might have been the first originators of this. I suspect as long as there have been people, they've been racing each other. But we know the Greeks were big into uh, this kind of athletic competition on a, on a more formalized scale. I mean, these are the people that came up with the Olympics, named after the Gr- a Greek place. And incidentally, on that note, do you know where the word marathon comes from? Some of you history lovers, you probably know. But a lot of people might not know what that means or where do we even get that word. Well, this is, this, ha, this is thanks to the Greeks also. Way, way back when. How far back when? Well, before Hebrews was written, for sure. Back, they say, around 490 B.C. You had... These uh, Greek types in these cities, Athens and Sparta, you know, the biggies, and then the, and the smaller ones too. And then you had a massive empire called the Persian Empire, which we see in the Bible, of course, because it's those Persians that had uh, kings named Xerxes and Artaxerxes, and the original, and first you had Darius or Darius, however you want to say it, and you had, you had uh, the young uh, Jewish girl Esther, right? This is all in the Jewish context. Well... They were a mighty empire, and the Greeks said we were tired of paying uh, our taxes to them. You know, and they dumped all their tea into the uh, Mediterranean. Just kidding, that's a different story. But they didn't like paying that tribute, so they said, no, we won't. And the the, uh, Persians said, oh, yeah, we'll just see about that. Here comes our army. You're away. Well, there was this man, reportedly, a legendary runner. He could run a long ways, and he could run a long ways fast without getting too tired. And because they had no cell coverage to text each other messages, okay, because there was no technology, how do I tell people 100 miles that way what's going on? I got to send a runner. You know, that's like my communication is to send someone who I know can, can make the terrain and get there in as quick a time as possible. And there was such a man named Phidippides. That's what we're told, Phidippides. Um, and this is him depicted. This is his, he's depicted in many ways, but he's a legendary hero of the ancient Greeks. It's great, Phidippides the runner. They say he ran to Sparta first to seek help. That's like 100 some miles. And then all the way back, he had run to Athens at one point and back, 
then fought in the Battle of Marathon to fight off the Persians where they were great underdogs, so they pulled off a big upset. So he's like wearing battle gear, presumably, doing all that. Then after he's completely worn out, Persians leave. They hightail it out of there, having been defeated there. But they're but they're but they're setting sail to hit Athens from the from the from the water. And they say, Oh no, we gotta go warn the city. Well, fighty, you up for one more? You got any more in you? And he did. And the story has it that he that he made that desperate run as fast as he could to warn them before the ships came. This is after all that he had done before. Worn out, no energy left, gave all he had, gave everything to get there. So it goes the story. And and a lot of the depictions they had you, you see of him when you look at is him is him uh, like uh, you know, right there at the at the king's throne, or at the or the Athenian rulers, you know, counts, and he's fallen down. He's handing him the, you know, the message, while he's dying. So the story says that he he gave out and just keeled over from exhaustion after making the run from the plains of Marathon. Oh, now I get it. See, and it was roughly some circa 25 miles ish. And there you go. There's your story. Well, this is all a fascinating little bit of this week in racing history. However, what's the point here? Because every analogy has a point. Otherwise, you're just storytelling for, for kicks and giggles. But analogies are supposed to analogize. It's supposed to be something you say so people can understand in order to illustrate a better point. That's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. But before we get to the point of this analogy... I want to read you one more passage that makes uses the same analogy to maybe make nuanced different points. So here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says this to the Corinthians. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. So now we have two texts in two letters to two different groups, but still making, using this analogy, and it's, it's not the only places so you could find references in, uh, for example, in uh, Philippians, Paul makes a reference and he says, he says, um, I know that I have not run in vain. You have not run in vain. And then to the Galatians at one point, he he talks to them about how the, you know, the fact that they have been turned away by these people teaching a false gospel and false doctrine. And he says to them at one point, He says, what's happened to you? You were running so well. Who deceived you? Who who tripped you up? It's a a quick little reference, but the analogy just seems to be always pervasive in the background. You were running this race well. So what do we learn? What are simple lessons? The fact of the matter is, this is what you call a practical, very, very practical sermon because these are practical texts. This does not require any great genius to extract the meaning out of these things and make them apply. And no preacher has to get very creative here.
to say, how can I make application of this? The application makes itself. I mean, it's there already. So let's just look at some things that are very obvious to us, and I don't have these on the screen uh, necessarily for you. By necessarily, necessarily, I mean at all. All right, so we look at these texts, and what do we see? Well, some simple lessons for us. One is that you can't win if you don't run. And there, and there, in fact, is no opting out anyway. You think about it. If, if the race is an analogy to just you know life itself, then guess what? You're in it. You're in it. You, you, you're in this race whether you know it or not. You, you've got to start and a finish. And some path, some course between here and there. And you're going to run somewhere, some way, at some speed, aiming at something. And you either recognize that, or you know you can just delude yourself and say, well, well, I'm not in this, I'm not in the race at all. Well, that's just delusion. Of course you are. As he says, all the, in a race, all the runners run. They don't all win, but they all run. So you look around you in the world, and the general, in the general analogy of life as a race, you look all around the world, everyone's in it. Everyone's in it. You could say, well, maybe though it's a more, um, maybe it's a narrower now. Maybe it's just the race of those living the Christian life. But we all here profess to be such. So we're all in it. Either way, we're all in it. And if we, but if we, if we tell ourselves I'm not, or forget we are, then what chance do we have of any success? If any of the marathoners down there somehow, you know, like 13 miles into the thing, suddenly their mind wanders so far that they just forget they're in a race. I mean... If they just totally forget they're in a race at all, well, I mean, who knows where they wind up? There's no telling. They could just peel off and wind up anywhere, go off to any, doing anything. Like, like you know, kids when they get distracted, you know, you give kids a task. You're like, here's what you got to do. You got an hour to accomplish this task. You leave them to do it, right? You come back. I mean, you know, the stuff they were supposed to clean, they might have. You know, there's a bunch of stuff they're supposed to, like, you know, get a bunch of clutter, and they've made a castle out of it, you know, or whatever. I mean, all kind of crazy stuff. Because it's kind of like, in the middle of my job, my task, I just plumb forgot what I was supposed to be doing here. Because I started thinking what a cool castle I could make. I just, you know, and, and then and once in a while you look at them and say, hey, what are you doing? Didn't I tell you? And it's almost like they totally forgot, like, oh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? You forgot what you were doing here? You know? Like, I, I handed you a broom, and I come out here, and you're riding it around the yard, pretending you're a witch. <laughs> that ain't, you know? You think you're in the Harry Potter game here, flying around your broom? Th no, that broom is for sweeping. So we, 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 you know, here we are, given our job. Could that happen to any of us? I wonder. Could it? Could we just forget what we're here for, forget our job, forget our calling, forget what we do? And next thing you know, it's almost like God taps you on the shoulder and says, uh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because you're off somewhere 
doing some foolish things, wasting your time and money aimlessly, not knowing what you're doing. It's like, what are you doing here? I didn't give you money, resources, talents, time. I didn't give you all that so you could, so you could do this over here. So you got to know you're in it. Got to know you're in it. It's kind of like people who, if we use the fight analogy, which Paul also used in Corinthians, right? He says, "I don't run aimlessly, and I ain't boxing. I'm not shadow boxing, right? Just you can't, you can't, you can't fight the wind and win against it, can you? I and mean, people who live in this state know that the wind wins. But you know, if I if I don't know I'm in a fight, chances are I'm losing it because I don't even know I'm in it. Well, you run, he says, another point to be made here, is that he says you run to win. That is to say, this is not a fashion runway you're on. You know what I mean? You're not here to walk down the runway, you know, and look at everyone. You always, you notice how they walk? Don't you love how they walk on the runways? They're like, right? They, they, it's not, you like that? Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> This morning I'm I am modeling the blue the blue shirt and this wonderful tie. My uh, my designer is they always name their designer and so this is <laughs> this is by so of course half the stuff they wear when they're going down those runways is uh, is so bizarre that uh, you know I mean no one's ever going to wear this stuff in real life is anybody who who unless it, unless the costume party but that's not what we're here for. We're not running to look good. We're not running to model our running clothes. We're not modeling so people will say, ooh, look, what form, what style. You run to win. To win. As the, uh, there was a legendary coach's rant. I love good coach's rants. Man, I love them. And there was, an, there was a great coach's rant one time. The NFL coach, Herm Edwards, I think his name. Remember him? He coached the Jets. And someone asked him some dumb question. He says his rant was, you play to win the game. Hello? Right? That's what he said to them. You play to win. What do, you, what do you think I'm doing here? What do you think we're here for? You know? We're trying to win. That's the whole thing. And so how does a runner prepare to win? Well, I always I want to win. What does he mean? What do, what what do these texts mean when they say you should try to win? What does it mean to win? You prepare to win, and one of the one of the one of the elements of that is training. Training. It says, he says, athletes they deny themselves. They have to exercise self-control. Now, some professional athletes we read about, we might say to ourselves, well, they don't always seem like the paragons of self-control to me. Well, for some of them, in their everyday lives, they get a whole lot of money and fame, and then there are certain parts of self, certain kinds of self-control they don't have anymore. They, you know, but but in if they've succeeded in competition, then you can bet that they've exercised some self-control, or they wouldn't be where they are. It's just, just the bottom line. At the highest levels of competition, a slob who doesn't care about exercise, just does it sometimes, eats whatever he wants. You know, no. He, even if you have natural gifts, there's a ceiling to how far you're going to go. Because there are other people with gifts too, 
And if they control themselves better, if they eat better, exercise more, have a better regimen, if they keep themselves in better health, keep their minds in a better state, if they take care of themselves better, they'll have the edge on you. Even though you're both talented. But they'll have the edge on you. And so, and so Paul is saying, you know, there's something to be learned. When we look at who wins, we say, wow, they work hard. Sometimes, you know, we would always say, and we still sometimes just say this, it's easy to envy the great athletes of the world. You think, well, you were given this. You have super duper strength and speed and size and bone density and you're super strong and, you ha- and you're agile and you have this hand-eye coordination and blah, blah. And I didn't get all that stuff, but if I had what you have, well, I'd just be as good as you. Easy for you. You know, it's, it's one of those many kinds of uh, what today we might call privilege, although I never hear that one. I'd like to hear that one. I'd like to hear somebody stand up and complain about athletic privilege. You don't know how, how a lot of times today we really, there's a whole lot about the haves and have-nots, and people have this, don't have that, and everything's sort of divided into categories of who's on top, who's not, and, it's not, and, and things aren't fair. And that's kind of the big message that is preached today. A lot of things, it's just, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. But I never hear people say this, but although it's, it, by their standard, this is really not fair. That's not fair at all. How come I don't get all that ability? You know, I'm watching these guys. I'm watching these NBA playoffs. They they go they get up the court like in three seconds, throw down monster dunks. Why can't I? It's not right, I tell you. It's not right. It ain't fair. That's inequality if I ever saw it. And so, you know, but but here's but here's something we forget when we say all that. Those athletes, they work really hard. It becomes their whole life. Now, you enjoy a lot of things in your life. You like, hey, I, li- I, like, a, I like a good quality donut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I like some of that good, rich food we like to eat. And uh, like your free time. But see, if you want to be that, if you want to be that person that you idolize in that sport, that's going to be, that's gonna become your whole life. And you may not get to eat donuts anymore. And you may not have a lot of that free time to do the things you do, because this is going to be your entire life. To, to reach that level, you're going to have to give everything to it. And we've seen this. If you ever watch, uh, read biographies or documentaries of some of the greatest ever to do these things, you what you find out is, man, they really, really worked hard from the time they started, you know, all the way through. Just maybe maybe 20 years of just this was their whole life, day and night, morning, you know. And there was a lot of self-deprivation that had to be done. So, training, training, training is part of how we win. What does that mean for us, spiritually speaking? What's the application here? Well, I think it's clear to us, is it not? It's not so much physical training, though we should take care of ourselves. But, you know, there's all kinds of training of the mind. We, you know, Christians come together and we say, we talk about the spiritual disciplines. And we've got to... We've got to read the word, understand the word, know the word. We should memorize the word. We, and, you know, that just sounds like blah, blah, blah. That's just church talk, right? That's what they always tell us. But no, it's training. That's the training we're talking about. That's, what, that's the dedication and the training. You want to win? you got to train. And there has to be purpose. And Paul said, I don't, I don't run aimlessly. See, the marathon runner can't go, can't go to the starting line this morning and say, well, you know, I see this. Uh, I see the map that you guys drew where you want us to run. But you know, I don't know. I don't know. Your map is not that scenic. I'm not sure. I've, and you know, I got to run with all these other bums up shoulder to shoulder. I'm going to go my own way. I'm my own man. 
So I've mapped my own marathon course, slightly more scenic than yours. Got a few nicer vistas, you know. And I'll just, I'll see you guys, I'll meet up with you at the finish line. They don't get to do that. You won't count. Whatever, you, whatever place you came in, it wouldn't count. You didn't stay on course. You ran aimlessly. You can't do that. And Paul says, I don't just, I don't just take out like, wee, look at me, I run a race. Just to, you know, Forrest Gump, just running through, you know, run, Forrest, just right here, you know, just, I'm just running, don't know where, don't, got no purpose. In fact, there is a, fo- there is a focus. Hebrews says that you, that your, that your focus or your gaze, ha- your sights are on something, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author, as most translations say, this I think that was the ESV that said the founder and perfecter. But he's the originator. And that's your focus. So you've got an you've got a finish line ahead. You've got an end in mind. You can see the goal. You see it. And he is the goal. I mean, he he's the standard. That's where your eyes are fixed as you run. That way you don't run off over here. Have you ever known people who had the zeal and had the energy? And and really had capabilities, but but their focus got shifted off onto something else, or some other way of thinking, or some, you know, I've known people who they they gave all of their energy to some other thing, you know. I, don't, I mean, it can be even fairly noble in some way. It doesn't have to be terrible, despicable, evil thing, but you know. Maybe it's uh, may, maybe they become advocates for just a kind of generic self-help program, but they get they're they're into it. They're really into it, and it's great that they have all that energy. But you know, before you know it, they, who knows what they believe and what they're really living for? Because they took their eyes up. They, they don't, you know, they don't really know what they're in the end. What if question? What if you get to your goal? Where are you? What do you got then? What does it look like when you get there? I wonder about some people in our world today, highly motivated, secular type people. They're motivated. They're out there. They're doing it. They get up early. They, they're not bums. They're not lazy. They, they, they have purpose. They want to be, they got a life coach and they read some books and they do that. But I wonder what did, in their minds, if they get to their ultimate goal, what does it look like to them? You know, have they thought about that? Is there anything waiting? Is there anything? Is there a finish line that's even worth getting to? Do they even know what it would be? I'm not sure they all do. They're just running. But we have a goal. We have something our eyes are fixed on. Another thing we've got to do is to remove obstacles and extra weight. Obstacles and extra weight, things that hold you back. I guarantee you go downtown and look at those guys lined up at the at the beginning. None of them in a fur coat. Right? Nobody's wearing their tux today down there running that right. No sweatpants. No, uh, no, no, no army boots, right? I don't think uh, I don't think Rick could go run that marathon in those waders. He goes fishing in all the time. Those big old waders. You don't, you don't, you don't gonna run a race wearing heavy things that hold you down. And so Hebrew says you've got to throw off those things. Get out, get those things that hold you down, weigh you down. Not to mention obstacles in your path. You've got to clear those too. Don't don't stumble over those things. Well, well, what do you mean? What would those things be? Well, we can easily drag around our old habits 
And our old sins we just can't let go of. Or the guilt we have from them that we're just walking around feeling guilty about. All my past sins and everywhere I'm going, I'm dragging that bag with me. It's baggage. And so you can't win the race if you're bogged down with, uh, with you know, sin that it says so easily entangles. Some translations say ensnares. Right? Uh, the King James says the sins that beset us. Because, you know, the way sin works is it, it gets all in your business. You know, it gets its fingers in all and everything it, you can't disentangle from. Right? It's like those long vines. Anybody got those long vines on your property? They got the thorns in them. They grow out of the ground. I don't know, Rick knows what I'm talking about. I always talk about that. They grow out of the ground, lots of them, and they got thorns all over them. And if you ever find, if you ever get in the middle of them, they're all in you, and now you can't, like, you're stuck. And if you try to jerk away, you're going to get the old cat of nine tails. I mean, it's, gonna, it's just going to rip. So you've got to slowly pick them out. That's a good analogy, in a way. For so sin gets a hold of you and entangles your life up, and then you feel miserable and you can't. You how can you run freely? You know, like you should. You should be able to run freely with a clean conscience. You know, now that's liberation. That's real freedom because you run not worried about who's gonna, what's gonna catch up with you, what someone might find out, right? A lot of people live scared of the scared of every text and phone call that comes to them or other people. Things about them. See, got to worry about all your sins. Be sure your sins will find you out. So get rid of that stuff. You can run and run, and then and and then you get you know you got to watch out for the obstacles. The enemy loves to throw stumbling blocks all in the path. So it's not a clear. The Christian doesn't just have smooth sailing on that. Finally. Uh, that finely textured, spongy, soft track stuff, you know, they put it now. Feels so good. It's like, ooh, kind of got a nice bounce. Nah, that's probably not the... Christians, don't expect that. Don't expect that. All downhill the whole way. Just all decline, you know, from start to No, no, it's going to be rough. And stay on course is another thing that we're told here. Stay on the course, as we said. Don't be distracted. Don't run off into a ditch. This is what winning means. This is how it's done. And, you know, part of winning is just finishing. A lot of people today, I mean, let's face it, a lot of the people that do the marathon don't actually think that they have much of a chance to win the marathon. You know, there's a bunch of people. Most of them, I'd say, don't think, I might win this. Most of them probably don't. Because there's a handful of people that are the real, (laughs) that, that that, that are the ones that, you know, they're mostly if if people are putting if people are if there are betting odds and these days I wouldn't be surprised if there are betting odds because nowadays there's betting odds on everything you know the degenerate gamblers of the world they're looking for anything to bet on what there's a marathon in Oklahoma City okay you know I got uh, give me 50 bucks on let's see here well if there are betting odds being laid down uh, it's for a handful of people and all the rest of them are, well why are they running look in this case Though success is finishing, and that's a big goal. I mean, it's it's an accomplishment to make it all the way. It's an accomplishment, and a bunch of them can't do it or won't do it. I mean, what if we? Let me just let's be honest here. What if we all just started right now? We just went outside and said, "Let's hit it, boys! All of us together! Let's do it, guys! Come on, marathon right now!" How many of us go finish that? <laughs> How confident are you? Just make it to the end. I mean, finishing, finishing is part of it. 
That we don't drop out. That we don't fall away. That you don't, as Paul says, become disqualified. That is, you don't do something so stupid that you're out. You You just disqualify yourself. And so finishing. That's one thing. To finish the race. And finishing in this case, of course, means finishing well. Because, look, if you do something idiotic and, you know, and you, so idiotic that you got yourself killed or something. Well, you finished in a way. But of course, implied here is finishing well. That is, you make it to the end as a faithful runner all the way through. That when you reach your finish line, you can say, I did it. I didn't stumble. I didn't fall away. I didn't, I didn't die in the ditch. I didn't get disqualified and thrown out. I finished well. The only way to do that is to run with perseverance, as it says. It doesn't say it says run with perseverance. Some translations say endurance. We talked about that. We talked about that a few weeks ago when it said add to your faith perseverance. Church perseverance. We don't all like to hear this. We don't all like to hear this. Televangelists never talk about this. There's no. This isn't. This isn't the cheeriest thing. But in this world, you have got to persevere. Got to persevere. That means you got to make it. You got. You got to run through some stuff. Weather, bad weather, some uphill stuff. You've got to get over some, got to climb over a few things. It's not going to be pretty. The enemy's going to hound you, be on your tail, try to throw you off. Perseverance, perseverance, making it to the end. Well, how long will my race be? Well, if I presume to tell you that, you got to throw me off this stage. I'd just I'd be a huckster try to tell everyone how long your race I don't know how long your race is. I don't know how long mine is. None of us knows how long some people's race is shorter. But here's the thing. And this sounds a little bit contradictory. But I think I think there are two things that, that are that we have to hold kind of intention that are biblical teachings. And that is we've got to run with the, with the knowledge of the, of the very possibility that today could be the end of your race, but run in such a way as to take the long view so that you're prepared. Does that make sense? That sounds like, well, you're saying two different things. Not exactly. You've got to run... In other words, you don't burn out... See, see a, foolish, a foolish distance runner would burn himself out. And that would... You know those you know those Jamaicans typically when uh, for some reason I don't know why that what they how they're so fast but the sprinting the sprints the short races like in the Olympics you know the old hundred meters and everything Jamaicans are speedy they win those things you got the Usain Bolts in the world they're so fast now that's short distance but they beat everybody on short distance you, you know if one of those if one of those um, Olympic gold medalists you know Jamaican sprinters was was in that marathon downtown today. I mean, if you wanted to, you could just blow everybody completely. Just leave them all behind in the beginning. They'd fire the gun and be like, where'd he go? <laughs> he's gone. Oh, he's way up there. Like, he's... But, hmm, think he'd win that marathon? That's not what he trained for. His training doesn't include that. No. So eventually, some guy from Kenya is going to cruise by, or, or <laughs> Ethiopian guy is going to jog by and say, Sorry, brother, you need some water down there? And Jamaican guy's going to be laying, laying in the ditch. 
fainted. Oh, man, this is so long. You can't sprint that far. So, you see, your life, your life, you, you don't live it like it is a sprint because you don't know. That would be presumptuous. Well, I just don't think the Lord's going to let me live long. I'm just going to go. I'm, he'll, he prob- my race will probably be short. You don't know that. You don't know that. Live with the long view, giving God room to leave you here for the double marathon, if that's what he wants. He wants you here till you're 160. He'll do that. You got to be ready for that. You got to just be thinking, okay, it's whatever. But with the keen awareness in the back of your mind that also, if he chooses, he might just end my race by about four this afternoon, if he so chooses. And I need to be ready for that too. It's all his call. But here's the thing: these these things apply either way. We run the race the same way. In any rate, with our eyes fixed on the prize, the author and perfecter of our faith, that's the standard. Persevering through anything and everything, throwing off everything that would hold us back, hold us down, overcoming the obstacles that are in our way. We're not aimless. We're not, we're not beating the air, boxing the shadows. And we're not just here, you know, uh, to, to look fashionable as we go. We run to win.